Hey everybody, Scott Burnside, back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And Pierre Lebrun, up here I have in this post-trade deadline world, I have this image of you, big cushy couch, you're all stretched out, maybe your feet are up. It's early in the morning, so maybe you don't have a big glass of red, but maybe you do, I don't know. Uh, How are you feeling? This is, I always feel like there's this giant exhale across the hockey world after the trade deadline and you've been you've been grinding night and day for days and days how are you feeling yeah i feel great bob mckenzie the great bob mckenzie years ago labeled march as mail it in march we love mail it in march except we don't really mail it in we keep working (laughs) but but psychologically it's uh it's a relief uh you know the it's not so much trade deadline day scotty for me anyway i don't know how you feel but I mean, I like the cadence and the rhythm of deadline day. We're just busy all day, and this was a busy deadline, so it was fun. It's more the weeks leading into the deadline that really grinds you in terms of, you know, checking in with your sources and staying on top of the speculation and producing content. That's actually probably more stressful than the deadline day itself because mm-hmm. I think the day itself takes care of itself, right? Um, because there's, there's, there's just the news keeps flowing in. But it's always good to get that out of the way. And uh, it's similar feeling, obviously, when I'm driving up to the cottage uh, on July 1st at about 8 p.m. after uh, and starting my holidays. But, you know, it, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's nice to have a deadline that actually became uh, impactful again after a couple of duds, let's be honest, the last yeah. few years, right? And, you know, there were teams making hockey deals, which we haven't seen a lot uh, in, in you know, the last few years because the cap system has made it so difficult. So uh, we were pretty energized by that. It was a fun day. Yeah, no, I, I was, it's interesting because, you, you know, like when you think about the days leading up it, there were, you know, there were a lot of, of big deals and some of them happened in the evening and weekend nights. And, you know, I think of, you know, Tyler Toffoli going to Vancouver and, you know, the mm-hmm. busy, I think it was a Sunday and Tom Fitzgerald was, you know, he moved Andy Green and then he moved Blake Coleman and, and mm-hmm. you're right. And then you sort of wondered if, geez, will there be, will there be anything left of note or import on the actual trade deadline day? But you were, I thought there was like, a, my, you know, and I'm, I'm not in the studio like you, but my sense of there was a, there was a, a pretty great vibe all through Monday and right to the very end. And, you know, we were wondering is, you know, is Joe Thornton going to go? And ultimately he didn't. And, you know, what's going to happen with Chris Kreider, who of course signs the extension with the Rangers, but there was still a ton going on. What what was like, you're in that studio all day. What was, how was it different maybe than the last couple of years in terms of, of the juice? Well, what was different is we had juice early, you know, yeah. like their last couple of years, you're waiting till noon or 11 AM for things to start popping up. And, this started right away, you know, uh, within the first hour, you get Nemestikov and Pajot got done pretty early and there's adrenaline with all that for sure. Marlo, uh, you know, I, I, I could feel myself getting excited when I, when I reported that on air, that Marlo was going to the Penguins, you know, so there, there was just, there were some nice moments, uh, and it just kept going from there. And, you know, even Joe Thornton not getting dealt is still a story, right? Yeah. I mean, because, we started the day by telling our audience that uh, that the Sharks were listening on both Thornton and Marlowe and, and and would go to them and present to them what's there and, and they could decide what they wanted to do. I mean, that added sort of an edge to right off the hop. Uh, you know, we talked about that in our first chat on TSN at 8 a.m. Eastern. So it, it was fun. And, um, and, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's how the deadline is uh, moving forward and not like the last couple of years when you're really just focused on third line players on, on rental deals. Well, you are once again, the consummate pro because you mentioned JG Pajot, of course, going to the New York Islanders for a boatload in return for the Ottawa Senators. And of course, Pajot immediately signing an extension to stay with the Islanders. Uh, but we're going to be joined by Ottawa GM Pierre Dorian. And it's going to be fun to chat with a guy who basically is going to draft every player in the June draft in Montreal. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to catching up with Pierre and uh, and seeing you know what how it was for him. So don't go anywhere because when we come back, We're going to chat with the Ottawa Senators general manager. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days 
to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, everybody, here we go. We're back uh, with Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And as promised, Ottawa Senator's General Manager, Pierre Dorian. Pierre, I I was joking with Pierre Lebrun off the start of the podcast that maybe he was full out on his couch recovering from trade deadline and all the stuff that went on. I I guess you don't get to do that, right? GMs don't get to just lie down after the trade deadline. But I wonder, how does it feel for you to sort of maybe exhale a little bit after the the, you know, the, the, the build-up to and then the end of trade deadline on Monday afternoon? Oh, to me, it was like your typical any other day. Uh, we we were done by 3 o'clock, had, did a press conference, uh, stayed in the office till about probably quarter after 7, um, went home, had dinner. Um, our game started at 7. Uh, I was trying to figure out how um, when Rudy Bolters and Matthew Pecker were going to get there. That <laughs> right, was right. pretty much the excitement of my day. All right. Yes, you needed enough players that night, and uh, you ended up having that, Pierre. Um, but I, I, I was interested this year, just overall, Pierre, looking at the whole league, not just your work, but it was a busy day, and we haven't really had that, uh, at least in a significant way, for the last couple of years. So hard to make trades in the cap world during the season. Why do you think this deadline day overall was was a little more spicy than than what we've been used to? Well, in Ottawa, we always try to take care of uh, the media, so we try to do two early deals. So every sports <laughs> channel can talk about our deals. Yeah, it's okay. You can say TSN. Oh, I can say TSN. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. we wanted to make sure TSN had some something to talk about in the first three hours. So. Uh, we were fortunate enough that uh, we were able to make um, some good trades, we feel, on our side for the plan and for the rebuild in the first few hours so the people at TSN could discuss the Ottawa Centre as much as possible. And I will say, just to follow up, I mean, uh, as you could tell from the reaction, I mean, I, that was a, a huge return on Pajot. And, um, you know, I hey, I'm a big boy. I can admit when I'm going to be wrong. I did not think you could get a straight first-rounder for him I, I i always thought it'd be a conditional first um but you did get it and obviously makes more sense now that you see the islanders sign him but but what was it like navigating the market uh on Pajot and obviously um you know making that deal with lou well uh, lou and I, I you know i don't want to speak on behalf of lou but i can tell you that lou and i we've developed a pretty good relationship in my four years as general manager He's someone at times that I've gone for advice on some things that probably I wouldn't consider, uh, you know, trade with him. But, um, you know, just advice about sometimes protocols of a GM and, you know, uh, I've gone to him and about, you know, when should I speak at GM's meeting on subject matters? I've gone to him on certain things. So we've developed a, a bit of a relationship. Obviously, I did talk to him before we hired DJ Smith and uh, Jack Capuano because I knew he had a history with both. Um, so we've always had a pretty good history, um, when it comes to stuff like that. And when, when it came to making the deal with them, they were the first team that stepped up and offered a first. Um, so I knew they were serious. Uh, we all knew here in Ottawa that, uh, they wanted this player. So we, we found a way to work out a deal. We were fortunate enough to do one. I think that helps both sides. It helps the New York Islanders right now, but it also helps us. And what we're trying to achieve here in Ottawa and build a, you know, a championship team in years to come in getting uh, those two picks in this year's draft. Pierre, just following up on that, you it, it's incredible, really, what you've assembled. 
22 picks, if my math is correct, over the next two drafts. And of course, in Montreal in June, you have seven picks in the first two rounds, three in the first round. Can, can you describe what you imagine it will be like for you and your staff between now and the draft in, in Montreal? How do you prepare? Because this is this this is a huge time for this team, given the work that you've done and and these assets that are that are going to be coming your way in June. What's what's the work like now, leading up to June in in Montreal? Well, it's always been part of the plan that I think Eugene and I put together um, when we knew we were going to go through this rebuild. We knew that this was the most crucial draft uh, in the last five years and probably for the next few years after this. We knew uh, with the work of our good scouts that uh, it's a tremendous first round this year. And for the first three rounds, we feel we're going to get NHL caliber players. Uh, so that's why we tried to load up as much as possible. And we knew we'd be looking or we knew we'd be, there would be some bumpy times, you know, up until the end of this year. But at the same time, um, you know, having 22 picks over the course of the next two years, having 13 this year, uh, is something that we always plan upon. And, you know, as as early as a few years ago, we talked about this 2020 draft. And as late as our mid-year meetings, I, I addressed all the scouts and I said, guys, bring your A game to the second half because we're not just going to have the picks we have now. We're going to have m- many more. And they know the, 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 our scouts know the importance of their work and how it's valued. And at the same time, I've even I was with Trent Mann yesterday at the 67s game at 10:30 in the morning, and uh, we sat down. Even though he was here all through t- trade deadline, we sat down at one of the intermissions and uh, continued with our plan. And I told Trent, uh, I think I was an okay scout, um, but at the same time, I'm going to be part of your staff moving forward. I'm going to be going to a lot of junior games. Our assistant general manager um, Peter McTavish will be going to a lot of games on top of all our scouts that go to a lot of games, we're really going to make sure that uh, we have as much information as possible for the upcoming draft. Well, Pierre, and you're, you already have, obviously, other young players in the system already before this draft. And um, I, I'm wondering, I've asked you this before, but I, now it's really the moment where you're going to have to figure this out. You have a, a good team in the American Hockey League. How do you balance where you think your young guy should be <laughs> between, no, between no, the I, A and the NHL, right? I mean, it's an interesting yeah, question. I think, Pierre, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, we've done it previously with, uh, you know, we brought up Josh Norris for a game. We wanted to show him what the the NHL is all about. But at the same time, you have to find the balance. Right now, Belleville, with the youngest or second youngest team in the American Hockey League, uh, is in first place. I think we're first as far as scoring goals. So, you know, with a very good young group of forwards, we're scoring a lot of goals. So we see that there's talent there. And when we're talking about goal scoring, most of these guys are first, second, and a few are third-year pros uh, who are our primary goal scorers. So we know we have talent there. But at the same time, we want that talent to develop properly, and everyone has a different path. Some guys, it takes them a year to get to the NHL. Some some guys, it takes them two months. Other guys, it takes them three or four years to get to the NHL. We want to make sure that we – we do the right thing, not just for the player success, but also for the team success. But nothing beats – like people f- don't give the American League its, its due credit. It's such a good hard league. And what makes it such a good hard league is that not every pass is always on the tape. Not everyone is always in the right spot. So you've got to even work harder to be even better. And getting these young players or young prospects a chance to have – you know pl- play in the playoffs – have a playoff run, learning the grind of winning in the playoffs will be crucial for our future success. Pierre, you mentioned DJ Smith earlier in, in the conversation, and I, I hate to betray exactly how old I am, but it, it's old because when I started in sports, uh, DJ Smith was a captain of the Windsor Spitfires. I was the uh, sports columnist for a brief time in Windsor, Ontario. So that's where I first met DJ. Uh, and I wonder when you... You know, when with a rookie head coach in the NHL, and especially in a team, you know, in transition like yours, maybe you don't know exactly what you're going to get. And I wonder, as you head into the final quarter of the season, are there things about DJ that have, have surprised you or have particularly impressed you about how he has handled his first few months as an NHL head coach? 
Well, I'll, I'll start before answering the question. Maybe we shouldn't talk how old I am because I remember <laughs> watching DJ Smith in his draft year playing for the Spitz. And um, I remember being in the old Windsor Arena. I think they had, uh, if I'm off on the names, they had uh, Matt Martin, I think DJ. Yeah. They had three uh, defensemen up for that draft uh, that played on the back end. And uh, spending our Thursday nights in Windsor, uh, going to the Tunnel Barbecue before the game. So <laughs> I, I, I can recall some of the good times. Uh, we don't have enough time for me to tell you how impressed I've been with the work of DJ Smith and his coaching staff. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We're not the most talented team, except for, I've said it from day one, except for a handful of games we compete every night. We were two players short to start the game in Columbus, and they didn't touch the puck for the first 10 minutes. And that's all on DJ uh, Smith and his coaching staff. Uh, every day, DJ impresses me more and more. Uh, I think what people don't know, because they see this rough, gruff guy, DJ is one of the smartest people I've ever met. He is street smart. He knows how to talk to people. He knows when to put the foot on the gas. He knows when to take the foot off the gas. I, You know what? I think the Ottawa Center is one of the best things we've ever done is hire DJ Smith as our coach. Uh, he, I, I, words can't express how th- thankful I think our fans should be that we have such a competitive human being behind our bench, someone who's so passionate about the game and someone that's so driven to win. Right, I'd like to ask you about a former coach of the Senators and former GM, uh, uh, the late Brian Murray, Pierre, who you, you mentioned how you, you picked the brain of Lou Lamorello. Uh, which is a smart thing to do given his experience. But Brian was uh, your mentor and um, in Ottawa, and uh, um, you know I think uh, we all miss him. He was <laughs> one of the guys that cracked me up the most over the years, and uh, enjoyed so much talking to Brian. But um, I, I want to share this story with you because I don't know if Brian ever told you this at the time. But years ago, when Dion Phaneuf was captain of the Leafs, I got a call from Brian one day, and he started asking me questions about Dion, you know, you know, what's he like, you know? And I said, Hey, he's a really good role model. Anyway, kept going. Right. And that was like December, 2015, I think. And then of course, in February, 2016, Dion Phaneuf is traded to the Ottawa Senators. I remember calling Brian and saying, really? Like no heads up. <laughs> he says, no, <laughs> but it just, in, in only the way that he could, but I, I'm just wondering if you could share w- with our listeners, the, uh, you know, what, what it was like to, to work with Brian all those years. Well, the, the one thing about Brian is Brian is probably, I will say after my father, the second greatest father figure I've ever had, one of the best humans I've ever met. Brian had a way to get the most out of people. You can see why he was such a great coach. He rarely yelled at you. Now, we all know he yelled at a lot of referees, but they were <laughs> they didn't have to work for you. Um, but he rarely yelled at you. He got he just reasoned with you with common sense. I always talk about the things that I'll remember the most about Brian Murray and, and my relationship with him is that every day we went for lunch and every day was a different subject. And he loved hockey. He loved watching practices. He, he really liked being hard on his coaches, but he was, he was a great former coach, so he demanded that much out of him. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There are so many stories that I could tell um, about Brian Murray, um, you know, just sometimes driving to go to games. But the only one, t- one story I'll tell you is that Brian was – I think we had a pretty good relationship. One, um, one summer – um, Brian invites me to the Brian every year had the Murray family reunion at his cottage. Mm-hmm. And one year, uh, the only person non-family to make it was myself. And if anyone's <laughs> ever been to Shawville for a Frenchman to be invited to the Murray uh, family reunion is pretty special for anyone outside the family. And I will just say that I felt privileged to be there that day. Yeah, uh, that's, Cu- couple that's beers great. had that's there that great. day, I guess. Or <laughs> oh yes, more than uh, there's a couple of beers, uh, lots of great stories. Uh, you just yeah. Brian was what people don't realize is Brian was such a good storyteller, mm-hmm. and at times I think the stories were a bit exaggerated for the better of the story, but they're still great stories. <laughs> yeah, 
I think you nailed that. <laughs> That's great stuff. Well, Pierre, thank you so much for dropping by. It's it's going to be a fascinating time between now and, and the draft in Montreal, and certainly uh, my sense of and well, let me we'll close it with, and I'll ask you this question. But certainly from afar, my sense is that there is great enthusiasm for you know, where the Senators are headed. And you touched on it, certainly, with the the work that DJ Smith has done and the, the work that's being done in Belleville at the AHL level and, of course, the anticipation of what will, will happen at the draft in Montreal. But I wonder if, if you're getting that sense uh, out in the community you know, that maybe that, that we really have seen this team turn a corner. Are you are you feeling that in, in your daily comings and goings in Ottawa? Uh, without a doubt. I went to the 67s game yesterday. I don't think I've had, uh, on a personal note, we were there with, obviously, with Trent Mann and Peter, and we had um, people from our office. Sean McCauley was there. Sean Donovan, Jesse Winchester were just all watching the game. And so many people came up to all of us saying, you know, great job. You're on the right path. We know Belleville is good. And just as recently as last, uh, as, as recently as I think, uh, a week ago, even before we made all these trades, I was at my son's hockey game and I must have had about 20 people. I tried to sit by myself in a corner, but sometimes it's a bit incog- <laughs> It's a bit uh, difficult to be incognito in a hockey rink. And uh, so many people come up to you and say, you, we know you're on the right path. You know, we know you. the centers are playing good, hard, hard, honest hockey. And once all these players and prospects and pick get there, we know that you're going to be a really good team for many years to come. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good stuff. Well, Pierre, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to to chat with Pierre and I. It's a treat and look forward to seeing you down the road. Perfect. Thanks for having me on, guys. Okay. Thanks, Pierre. Thanks. Pierre, that was that was really interesting. I, I, I love to hear Pierre Dorian's enthusiasm for DJ Smith. And uh, you, you, I don't know how much time you would have spent around DJ beat when, you know, when he was assistant on Mike Babcock's staff, mm-hmm. but, uh, well, I, the media, the media a, weren't allowed to talk to him. So didn't get to know right. him too well. <laughs> right. But does it, does that surprise you just how you know, like, that's real. That's a genuine, that's genuine admiration for, from a GM for a rookie head coach. And, and I, I, mm-hmm. you know, from afar, I think he's earned every bit of it. Yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, and talking to Pierre Dorian after you hired DJ Smith, I mean, he was just so enamored by how DJ Smith sounded in, in, in during the interview process. Because remember, Pierre Dorian interviewed a, a, a pretty long list of candidates, right? You remember all the names that were coming out and and all that. And, and DJ Smith is the one that really stuck out. And uh, and I know that the Leaf players really enjoyed him. You know, you always have sort of your good cop, bad cop routine on most coaching staffs, and 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 DJ Smith was certainly the good cop. So I'm not surprised that you know, the, the reaction of these and Senators players. And listen, I mean, you know, the GM of every team is, is, is obviously, obviously going to see the glass half full when he's talking about his own team. But, but I think it's, it's absolutely true that this Senators team that a lot of people have pegged to be 31st this year, right. As they continue their rebuild has, has been better than that. Uh, I mean, they, they, they give you a tough game every night. They just don't have enough talent right now to, to win that many games, but they're not getting they're not getting the doors blown off at all. Every game is a is a bit of a dogfight with them, and might be a little harder from here on in after trading obviously uh, Pajot and and Ennis uh, and Dylan Demello and so on. But um, you know, it uh, things are going to start to change there over the next couple of years. And, and certainly, Scotty, the last thing I'd say, and I wrote this in, in my rumblings this week, but you know, that was a tremendous trade that they made with the Islanders. But at some point. You know they have to start keeping some of these homegrown players, right? I, I mean, you know, Pajot was a local kid that they had, you know, developed, and obviously Mark Stone, Eric Carlson, and and listen, I mean, I, I mean, I get it. I mean, I I don't know that I would have paid Pajot what the Islanders did, quite frankly. You know, I mean, he's a terrific two-way player, but five million a year over six years is a little rich for me if I'm contemplating what he's probably worth on the market. So I get that part, but I'm just saying as this team is arcing up and it certainly looks like it is with everything they already have and what's coming in June, they'll, I think what will really totally change the perception of this team, which, you know, has taken a beating with, you know, the Carlson fallout and, you know, uh, an owner at times that has made comments, all that stuff. If you really want to get back to the way this team was, was, 
you know, in the, in the 2000s when they were a perennial cup contender, then you got, you know, Thomas Shabbat was a great example of how things are starting to change, right? Great extension. Best young defenseman on the team. That was a really important message for the Senators. I'm with you. And it's, you know, it's it, it's funny because it, it, things have, have changed so quickly, right? But it's, I mean, it's only three, it's less than three years, but it would be three years ago this spring that that team in Ottawa, double overtime, game seven of the Eastern Conference Final. Like it, it, it is, like, you know, the... It feels, on some levels, like that team, you know, has been in the in the doldrums for forever, and maybe that's how it, it feels in a lot of markets when your team falls off the map. But it's not really that long ago, and you know, it's a good hockey town. They just they need to. I think you're absolutely right. They need to not just you know they need to capitalize on what should be an absolutely banner draft, and it's not just drafting and developing properly. It's maybe turning some of those draft picks over the next two years into, you know, players who can come in and be part of the leadership group and who can be part of the foundation, um, you know, that we can already start to see, I think, taking shape. But uh, now, you know, I think Chris, Chris Stevenson, our, our good pal and, and colleague, wrote this basically now this is when the hard work starts, right? I mean, right. You, you, you've, you've done, gone through the pain, but now you you got to get it right. And, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see, but... Good stuff. Yep, and the downtown rink would be nice too, but that's a conversation well, for another day. <laughs> yes, yes. Now you got it. Uh, all right, don't go away because when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna kick around some of the highs and lows of trade deadline day and what it might mean moving forward. But uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on at the Athletic. The Athletic is home to four hundred of the best sports writers out there, covering every major team in every major league in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. You're going to get great stuff like Katie Strang's in-depth reporting. No one is covering the world of sports like Katie Strang, and her writing is a must-read every single time. You've got a guy like my friend Pierre Lebrun covering the NHL like no one else in the business, including spot-on predictions for trades leading up to the trade deadline. Who knew? Simply put, we have the best sports newsroom on the planet. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself by signing up for a free trial. Head to theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage to save 40% on an annual subscription. That works out to $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? That's theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage to save 40%. Don't wait a minute longer. All right, this is, uh, you know, as we wrap up the post-trade deadline session uh, or edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, I'm, I'm just curious, what at the end of the day, when you got home and maybe you were having a cup of tea or whatever you were having when you got home, what was what, what stuck up? What, what was the one or two things that you were like, you know what? I didn't see that coming. Or, geez, I wonder how that will work out. What, what stuck with you at the end of the day after the trade deadline on Monday? I thought Colorado would be more active. You know, they yeah, added Nemestikov, who's you know he's a decent, uh, you know, top nine player. So he's going to help. But I just had this feeling of, and part of it is obviously hearing from sources around the league what Colorado was poking its nose in different things that they were going to be. A, a bigger headline maker, right? And who knows? Because uh, we know they had interest in Chris Kreider. Maybe when he resigns, that that kind of you know it, it kind of jams them up with, with without enough time and on the last day to recover, right? In terms of what Plan right. B or Plan C is. Um, but I, I I did think, given that they had so much cap room and they had injuries, and I know most of those players are all coming back anyway, so it's not the end of the world before the playoffs, but. I just felt they had the ability to probably be a bigger mover. And yeah. it's not the end of the world. I mean, I do, again, um, I, I can't speak from both sides of my mouth. I do think the deadline is overrated for determining how what your playoff success is going to be. There's no question. But I think just because they had the cap room and more flexibility than most of the other contenders, I, I'm surprised they didn't, they didn't make more noise. Yeah. It, it, it is funny because you're right. You want them. You want all things 
for all teams, right? Like when you, 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 you know, if you, if you, if you don't make a move, then you offer yourself up for criticism. I mean, unless you've been there, like no one's criticizing the St. Louis blues, right? Marco Scandella, maybe this year's Michael Kempney and, you know what, Doug Armstrong has enough currency as the GM of the defending Stanley Cup champions. He can do whatever he wants. Right. And that's okay. And, and, and you know, to me, though, and I was with you, I, I really, I kept waiting for the Avs to, you know, to, to stake their claim on trade deadline, not just on Monday, but leading up to it. And to me, the opposite end of the spectrum is Julian Brisebois in Tampa. And right. I, every when he, I just laugh because... You went through a, a really interesting Q and A with Julian Brisebois, and he laid out all the you know the studies and, and the d- trade during the Christmas line. holidays. Yeah, like, so we, it's important yeah. to say when we did this. <laughs> oh yeah, but, but you did. He had you know there's he's a really cerebral guy. He laid out for you how he had done the study of the trade deadlines and how you know lots of times it doesn't work out. And <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah. he might have been the most bold of all the GMs. Uh, on uh, you know on the on the trade period right I mean yeah. the Barkley Goodrow and the first round pick which you know, listen it's going to be a thirty or thirty one or wherever it's going to be so it's you know it's almost a second round pick but still that's a lot for Barkley Goodrow you know the you and I talked about the uh, Blake Coleman deal which was uh, again I thought a, a kind of player that they really needed given his tenacity and he's you know he's he plays fierce and he plays up and down the lineup. Um, what, what do you make of all that? Because, you know, if you had to pick one guy, you said, okay, there's a guy who's really going to go out on the, you know, who might push the envelope. I'm not sure I'd have had Julian Brisebois at the top of my list. Yeah, no, that's right. Especially given, uh, the, the way that he was trying to guide us <laughs> with his comments about the trade deadline being overrated. However, and if he was on the podcast with us, I, you would probably point out that he didn't make rental deals. You made a couple hockey deals. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, the, you know, these two players, Goudreau and, and Coleman, are going to be on their team next year as well, uh, if not longer. But they're signed past uh, past this year into next at very cheap deals, which is part of the allure here, right? Because he's going to have a difficult off season with with Anthony Sorelli needing a new contract, with uh, Mikhail Sergachev needing a new contract. Both those guys are in for big raises, uh, and of course. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky's extension, which he signed last summer, kicks in only next year, which is a six million dollar raise. So they they've got salary cap issues in Tampa, which will require, I think, a couple of uh, probably long standing members of that team getting moved. I think at the draft, uh, you know, I don't know who, but if you think about the JT Miller trade, for example, last summer, I think we're in for another one of those, right, because of the cap issues. So because of all that, I, I get what he did here. You know, he's got two players that he really likes who are signed the cheap deals, but also on the ice as part of this. I, I, I don't know that Julian Breesville would ever admit this if he was on with us, Scotty, but they got pushed around by Columbus last spring. I, I was there for that series. And, and you know, you look at some of the moves since that shocking first-round loss. They add Pat Maroon in the offseason, right? Um uh, you know, they, uh, they they bring in big Zach Bogosian uh, as a UFA last Sunday. Uh, huge player. We'll see what kind of role he has. And, of course, Coleman, um, you know, Coleman and Goudreau have that sandpaper to them, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you know I love saying actions speak louder than words. But so the Lightning have added a, some sandpaper and grit and physicality in the last 12 months to an already very skilled lineup. And I don't think it's accidental. Well, and, and let's, you know, whether they catch Boston uh, atop the Atlantic, their Bruins have now opened up a five-point lead, as, as you and I are chatting. Now the Bolts have a one game in hand. But let's let's say they sit, settle into that second spot. They'll play either Florida or Toronto in the first round. But I think when you, you know, and with all due respect to Florida or Toronto, Tampa should, you know, on paper, they're a team that should advance. But to me, now you look at, and it's always bad to project, I know, but when you th- when you think of a Tampa-Boston second-round series, uh, to me, the, this, this Tampa team, as it is constituted now compared to, say, two or two weeks ago or whatever, to me, they're a, be- they're a team better positioned to tangle with 
well, right now they're the top two teams in the NHL. So I just think that that's, that makes, that all makes sense to me. And all of what you said is true in terms of adding players who are not on expiring contracts and all the things that move forward. But you know what? This spring is huge for the, this Tampa team. Mm-hmm. And I think they're better positioned now than they were a year ago. And it's going to be fascinating now to see whether it, you know, whether these moves pay off. But I, I, I applaud Julian Breezebaugh because, you know, sometimes there's a time to be bold and sometimes there's a time to, to really hold your cards close to the vest. But I, I think this spring is huge for this franchise in terms of their character and identity and maybe even their legacy so i I like it and 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 maybe that's part of the urgency and and trading away the first round picks and all that 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 their time is now um and and by the time those first round picks would have become players with Tampa Bay lightning you're probably talking because they're low picks you know four or five years from now right and that's not their window so i i get it too um i should mention by the way while we're taping this the Leafs just announced an update jake muzzin expect to be out four weeks after suffering a broken hand last night in Tampa against the Lightning that we were just talking about. So no Morgan Riley and no Jake Buzzin uh, for the foreseeable future for the Leafs, who played well in Tampa last night, Scotty, but uh, are really, as Kyle Dubas himself referred to them, Jekyll and Hyde. Um, Where do they go now defensively without their best two defensemen? That's going to be quite a story. Now Morgan Riley's on the men at least. I mean, at some point before the end of March, he'll, he'll be back, but... That's a pretty big deal. Well, and it's it, just the way the Metro loaded up at the trade deadline, really, you know, for, the Rangers didn't, I want to ask you about the Rangers, but, you know, it, to me, it looks, if you're, if, if you're Florida or Toronto, yes, you have a shot to get in as a wildcard team in the East. I, I think that is less likely. And so now it really is two teams, one spot uh, for that third hole in the Atlantic division. And, um, both yeah, I mean, Florida made that curious deal with uh, with Carolina, moving uh, Vincent Trocek to the Canes and bringing in Lucas Walmart and uh, Eric Halla. Interesting. Now they come up with a win right out of the their first game after the deadline. So uh, it is going to be fascinating. I, I'm just I, when you look at the Metro as a whole and you think about you know all of the moves that were made there, it, it, which were significant. And I look you know I look compare them to you know, another hotly contested division over in the central where the top teams were very quiet. You mentioned Colorado, but St. Louis, Marco Scandella, basically, you know, moving in with Jay Bowmeister out following his cardiac episode. Uh, Dallas didn't do anything and yet might be, well, there is good, there might be as good a team as there is in the, in the Western conference right now. And I just wonder when you compare those two and you look at all of the moves made uh, in the Metropolitan Division, like that's a that, that was a busy that was a busy time in the Metro. Like the people were loading up. Yeah, and you know it's the most competitive division in the league, and you know the Flyers with an unbelievable run of late. Right, um, I love their moves. I mean, they they had a lot of interest in John Gabriel Peugeot, by the way, Scotty, and right. um, just were not going to pay the price of the first round pick, so they had to sort of readjust after that and. You know, Nate Thompson, Derek Grant, right? The little uh, depth moves. And, uh, you know, I got to see a lot of Nate Thompson this year with my work at TSN on the Habs broadcast. And such an honest player, a great face-off guy. I think he's going to fit in just well there in Philly uh, on that fourth line. Um, but it, it's, uh, you know, I love how the Rangers keep winning. I mean, isn't that a great story? <laughs> the, you know, they were the forgotten team in the Metro, really. and But now they just refuse to go away. And big win over the Islanders in overtime last night. So... I think the Metro is unbelievably compelling um, in terms of who's going to be in it, uh, who's going to be out. Well, it like what 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 a nice job by Jeff Gordon of the Rangers to straddle that line between, you know, okay, are you really are you right there? I mean, they they are still in on some levels of team in transition with so many terrific young pieces and parts to try and figure out where they fit in, um, but to trade Brady Shea, a popular player in that Ranger locker room, lots of term left on his deal, but to get a first round pick back from Carolina, desperate for defensive help given their injury situation. But then that, you know, in some, you know, they're able to, to keep Chris Kreider and I, there was so much debate moving in. Could you keep him long-term knowing you've got Anthony D'Angelo as an RFA coming up and all kinds of other things to, to keep in the air? 
um, boy, what a what a nice job by Jeff Gordon to to straddle the line. And as you point out, that that team is red hot. And right now, as we're chatting here, there are four points back of Columbus in the second wildcard spot. They have three games in hand. You know how how great for that franchise for those players to be playing meaningful games whether they make it or not I I just think this is so important for that Ranger team because I think they're going to be really close and we know that their young goaltenders are are going to be they look right now like the future in goal um is very solid and that's sometimes hard to say when you're talking about replacing an icon like Henrik Lundqvist um it just looks like that team is real close and that's uh, that that's a tricky thing to do at the deadline is to you know, be both buyer and a seller or, or to sell and also still in some ways make your team better. Yeah. And I guess the one thing I would say is I wonder, I, I they, they obviously, I didn't talk to anyone on the Rangers, but they, they must've felt that like the one thing I, because they're in the playoff race, Scott, I wondered about trading Brady Shea when they did and not waiting till the off season. I mean, we know that they had salary cap issues going into the summer, right? And so it's not surprising that Brady Shea was traded. I mean, it was either going to be him or D'Angelo, I think. But but why now? Like, if you're in a playoff race, I guess, why not wait till the month of June to make that trade? And I can only surmise that, given that they had a first-round pick on the table from Carolina, that they probably, did, you know, you got the first pick now guaranteed. How do you know that now when there's suddenly all these other players on the trade market in June that... You still have that, I guess, right? I mean, I mean that's the tricky yeah. thing about, you know, making these trades before the deadline or in the off season. Um, they're often GMs go the other way. We think I can get more teams in on this guy in June than I can right now at the deadline, right? It goes both ways. But in this particular case, they must have obviously felt that, um, you know, the time was now to make this deal, even though they, you know, they lose a pretty good player for the rest of the year. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, we'll do a little uh, word association. I always like to, we don't do it every time because mostly because I forget or we've just run out of time, but I like to do a little word association with you. And uh, so uh, we're going to do this. We'll do, I'll give you a couple and that will send us off into uh, the end of this uh, two man advantage, the podcast, but let's start with this. Robin Leonard. Hmm. I like him so much. So I'm trying to think of I how know. wise I can be. How about Stanley Cup winner? <laughs> I I, 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 I think I you I, know what? As much as I really like the Blues' chances to repeat and Colorado the team on the rise, I think Vegas. I think Vegas might might be going to the Cup final. I think yeah. they're surging right now. Um, and adding Robin Leonard and Alec Martinez, both terrific moves by uh, by Kelly McCrimmon in Vegas. And the reason I love the Leonard move is that I, you know, that I've been on the record saying this. I I, I felt like Marc Andre Fleury has been run down the last couple of years, just playing too much, right, uh, in Vegas. And and they, now they've got the one A one B situation, which is just huge. I mean, it really is. It, it's unbelievable insurance and goal for them and and i thought that was a huge move by the golden knights well and and, i mean there are some guys that and i i was i enjoyed mark andre fleury's comments uh after the deal was made and uh, you know listen people are always going to say the right things right Or, or most often they should but my i just my feeling is mark andre fleury he wants to win more than anything so he doesn't see Robin Leonard as a threat or a guy who's been brought in because he hasn't been any good or whatever. Like to me, he's a if you're going to bring a number one goalie on an expiring contract into a dynamic like this, you got to be you got to be real careful that it's not going to create something that that you know that destroys you. And I just think Mark Andre Fleury is the perfect guy for this because you know what. He'll want Robin Leonard to win every single game. He's between the pipes, and I and I think that I think it's going to make both of them better. And I'm with you. I think that team, a I think they win the Pacific, and, and I think they are going at least to a West final. Yeah, as you know, I had them as my Stanley Cup winner back in the fall, and uh, it's yeah, no, I I like that move a lot. So, yeah, and and, right, and, gonna... and listen, we all we're all Flurry fans, but. You know, his, his save percentage is 906 this year compared to 913 yeah. a year ago and 927 that magical year, that first year. So, 
you know, the, the numbers are the numbers. And I think this will just bring out the best out of Flurry, knowing that he doesn't have to, you know, play three out of four, right? I, I, I mean, especially yeah. month of March is so busy for most teams. And so I, I really love this move. I talked to Flurry earlier this season about goalie load management. And, you know, it's just, it's against his DNA to even think about playing less. I mean, that's what we talked about is that he's, he just yeah. loves being out there. And I know that one of the things that, you know, the Golden Knights plan going into this year is just to try to have him practice less at the very least, right? See less pucks uh, on the off days. And I think some of that has happened. But I, I just think now, you know, you look at how successful the 1A, 1B situation has been in a lot of different places, and especially in Boston. But, you know, it's been good in, in Dallas and a good tandem in St. Louis, of course. And I, I just think this... It is such a, a masterful stroke to go and get Robin Leonard in my mind for the rest yeah. of the year. You you love goalie load management, by the way. I, I I'm all that about load. that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think we should have load management. They sometimes maybe if I'm tired, you should write one of my uh, one of my columns for me. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that will be. <laughs> all right, one one final one, and then we'll call we'll call it a day. Patrick Marlowe. Oh, well, now I can't say Stanley Cup champion. I already used that for Robin Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be great to see Patrick Marlowe win one. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to completely skip over Marlowe right away, but I have to tell you, it was, you know, you you feel for Joe Thornton and the, the you can yeah. just sense the emotion in his voice and talking to Kevin Kurz and the rest of the San Jose media about not getting moved to a contender and, you know, unfortunately, the teams that phone weren't the teams that he had in mind, right? Um, yeah. And so, despite all the speculation and hype, the Boston Bruins never did make an offer. Vegas never made an offer. And you can see now with Vegas, right? I mean, they have to fit in shoehorn Robin Leonard. Um, you know, Colorado didn't make an offer. So, th- those would have been obvious destinations, I think, for, for Jumbo. And But uh, you know what? He'll probably play another seven years, so... He'll, he'll, yeah, he'll get we'll try again next year. Yeah. <laughs> so now, so you're going to ignore my, so you've just, you, I, I always love that when you, if I ask you something uh, and then you go somewhere else. Right. <laughs> so Patrick Marlowe. Hmm. I'm going to say series game winning goal. Oh, nice. He's going to have that moment. You. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, we had Jim Rutherford on last week, right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I I just love, you know, just sort of, you can, I just sort of imagine Jim looking at a giant puzzle and Jason Zucker is the big, he's the big part that filled in the middle. But, you know, I love the idea that he returned Connor Sheary, who was part of the, the back-to-back uh, cup wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Patrick Marlowe. Now, I know people will go, oh, remember you tried that with Jerome McGinley and Brendan Morrow. It didn't really work out. I believe that was 2013. And that was, that was Ray Shiro. I think it was GM then, yeah, in Pittsburgh. Right, yeah, yeah. no, of course. Yeah, so I don't. Yeah, I meant the Penguins, right? right? But, of course, that was Ray Shiro, but you're right. But Jim Rutherford now, I, I like, I just think that given Patrick Marlowe's personality, given how respected he is, like I just think he's a guy that's going to fit the way that Mike Sullivan likes to play and you know, he's going to do, mm-hmm. he'll do whatever Mike Sullivan wants. Right. I mean, I, I just, I like the fit myself. Well, he's still, he's still a great skater. Uh, such a smart player, good penalty killer. I mean, I think it's, you know, in many ways, Marlowe is probably easier to, to slide into your lineup this late in the year as a newcomer than, than Joe Thornton in the sense that, you know, Joe Thornton is such a larger than life presence. It's why he's, you know, every teammate who's ever played with him has liked him so much. You know, he's this huge voice and leader and uh, takes over a room and, you know, takes over your power play. And, and, you know, I wonder on some level if one of the reasons why Marlowe moved and Thornton didn't is, is if some teams that, you know, talked about it internally. Like I know, for example, as I reported, Dallas Stars did talk about this internally, Sky. They, I think they even brought their coaches into it and said, you know, how would we make this fit? And I think at the end of the day, without knowing this, I'm just speculating, but I think they felt, you know, I was almost out of respect that they didn't want to trade for him and then give him five minutes a night on the fourth line, which which is maybe all they could do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Like, is it, 
it's interesting how you could look at Marlow and just say, okay, there you go. You know, third line, left wing, whatever. It just seems to fit. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. And it's going to be fascinating, right? And again, you know, we talked a little bit about projecting, which is never a good thing at the end of February. But, uh, you know, you, you imagine how the Penguins might stack up in a potential second round series with the Washington Capitals, both teams making mm-hmm. you know, sort of key moves leading up to the trade deadline. And I, I just think Patrick Marlowe is a guy that you want in that locker room. As, you know, your, your prediction, you know, coming back to that, you want him in that locker room in a deciding game, in a game seven. And you know he's going to do the right thing. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to wrap things up here. Before we do, formally, uh, should we give our Point Breakaway podcast a listen? Luke Robitaille, president of the Kings, uh, former Duck and King Dustin Penner, are going to join Shane O'Brien and Josh Cooper on uh, this week's edition of the Point Breakaway podcast. You should give that a listen. You should also rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple if you don't already. I can't imagine you haven't. But if you click on the show's URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. So you should do that. And you, Pierre, take the rest of the day off. I, I'm just giving you I, I'm not really I wish. to tell you to do that. I wish. <laughs> anyway, pal, always good work by you and, and a fun day-to-day as always. So thanks for hanging out. Right on, right on.